Good morning. Last week, we began a three-part series that we're calling The Power of Words. You know, one of the earliest things you learn as a kid, especially if you grew up like I did, going to Sunday school every Sunday, one of the first lessons you learn as a kiddo is this. you got to watch what you say. You have to be careful with your words. you got to be careful with what you say to other people. In fact, one of the earliest songs I learned to sing in church was this. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. And the reason we learned that lesson, beginning at the very start of life, is that words are a big deal. Words are a big deal, and at the same time, not only are they a big deal, but there are a million ways that we can mess up with our words. We talked about some of these last week. We talked about thoughtless words. You say something thoughtlessly, and it hurts somebody's feelings, and you find yourself kind of speaking to yourself in your brain. You know, what was I thinking when I said that? And chances are you probably were not thinking at all. That's why it was a thoughtless word. Or there are angry words. You get angry. The emotion of anger begins to boil over out of the heart, through the mouth, and you reduce another human being emotionally to a pile of smoldering ashes on the floor, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that I said something like that to you. Or there are humorous words that we sometimes use in hurtful ways. And we find ourselves from time to time maybe backing up or backtracking, and we're saying, I was only kidding. I was only joking and you're the only person that thought it was funny. Or there are sarcastic words, and sarcastic words, especially to to young children, can be so damaging. Sarcastic words hit us in the forehead like a two-by-four, but the bruise is always in the heart. Or there are lying words, or there are critical words, or impetuous words, or impulsive words, or intrusive words. And the point is, there are a lot of ways to mess up, and we're all guilty of messing up when it comes to our words. And this is why when it comes to the Bible, one of the simplest, most straightforward, one of the most to-the-point, tell-it-like-it-is, but at the same time, one of the most extremely difficult, demanding teachings of the Bible pertains to how we use our words. It pertains to our mouth and our tongue. Last week, we saw it in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. We're calling it the big three. You got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Those are the big three. Now, we know this. We've heard it all of our life, and it is kind of easy, simple to understand. So why does it seem so easy that we just keep messing up with our words over and over and over again? It seems like a continual battle with our mouth. Now, before I give you the answer, let me give you an illustration. Some years ago, this is a true story, some years ago, a youth minister arrives at Bible class one Sunday morning, and he has a box. And the box has a lid on it, so nobody can see what's in it. And he puts the box down in front of all of the the kids, and he says, in this box, I have the most dangerous weapon in the world, the most dangerous weapon in the world. And then he asks, who cares to guess what's in that box? Well, one kid says, there's a gun in there. Nope. Another kid says, well, maybe there's a knife in there. Again, nope, that's not what it is. And then somebody says, there's a hand grenade in there. And the youth minister goes, nope, in fact, you've got a thing bigger than that. So another kid says, well, maybe there's an atom bomb in there. You got an atom bomb in there. He says, nope. Another kid says, a nuclear bomb. Again, that's not it. And finally, the kids give up and they say, tell us what's in there. And it's at that point that the youth minister grabs the the lid of the box, takes it off, and puts his hand in and pulls out a gigantic cow's tongue. True story. Plops it down on the table and says, that, boys and girls, is the most dangerous weapon in the world. And you know what? 
He's right. But the problem is we don't always think about it that way. And therein lies the problem. We underestimate the destructive capability of a weaponized tongue. We underestimate the destructive capability of a weaponized tongue. Now, the tongue, our words, our mouth can be used for a lot of beautiful things, blessing people, encouraging people, building people up. And I'll talk about that next week. But this morning, what I want us to consider is why our mouths continually seem to get us into trouble. Could it be that we do not take our tongues seriously? That we do not take our tongue seriously, we don't take our we don't think about our words seriously, and that leads us to being slow to listen and quick to speak, and the problems begin. There is a Jewish proverb, it's anonymous. I don't have a clue as to who said this, but I love this proverb. A, a Jewish proverb says, loose tongues are worse than wicked hands. Loose tongues are worse than wicked hands. Well, the Jewish people have a lot to say about the use of words and the use of our mouths. There is another Jewish wise man. This time we know his name. His name is James. He is the brother of Jesus, and he offers some wisdom when it comes to the tongue. And he begins with these words in James chapter 3. He writes, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, what James is saying, it's true. No one is perfect. Everyone messes up. Everyone stumbles. There's no one who does the right thing all the time, and the proof is our mouth. The proof is our our tongue, the words that we use. And in the next 10 verses, he basically gives what is amounts, really, to a warning label for the tongue. A warning label, as you know, is a label that is attached to an item or, or contained in an item's instruction manual, and it warns the user about risks associated with the item and even sometimes can, contains some restrictions by the manufacturer. Now, that's what James is going to do in the next 10 verses, and he begins by saying, and this is a, a, a part of the warning label, he says, the tongue is deceptively powerful. The tongue is deceptively powerful. So question, what is the first lesson you learn in the Bible? The answer, in the beginning, God. Before there was anything at the very beginning, before there was a creation, a world, a you or a me, there was a God. Second uh, question, what is the second lesson of the Bible? And the answer is this, that God spoke a word and things began to happen. The point being that words are powerful. That's the second lesson of of the entire Bible, that God spoke a word and things happened. Words are powerful, even human words. And this is one of the reasons why James gives us the big three. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, when we think about powerful and something being dynamic and mighty or robust, we typically associate it with size, that that big muscles are better than little tiny muscles. What James is trying to say in this warning label is you got to retire that thinking when it comes to the tongue. James says the tongue's tongue's power in, in words and speaking is in a completely different category. In fact, he could say it this way. You can write this down on your outline. You can't judge a tongue by its size. You can't judge a tongue by its size. Now notice what he says beginning in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or, or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now what James is doing here is giving us two examples of why you cannot judge a tongue by its size. He says, example number one, think about it a little bit. It's a tiny little insignificant thing. I mean, you walk by it a million times a day, you would never notice it. But you put that little tiny bit in the mouth of a horse and you can make one of the most powerful animals in the entire world do what you want it to do. You can turn that animal whichever way you want it to go. The same thing is true of a rudder. When you think about the big things on a boat, you don't think about the rudder. The rudder, in fact, you don't even see the rudder. And yet, the rudder, being so small, is able to make a big boat go wherever the pilot wants it to go. Now think about the power of words in the context of a human life. How powerful are the words spoken by a parent in charting the course of a child's life, in the understanding of their self-image or their self-confidence or their self-worth? Man, words are powerful. And that's why as a parent speaking to children, we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How powerful are the words, you know, by the, you know, turn the tables, how powerful are the words of an adult child to a parent? Man, they're powerful. And that's why children, when they speak to the parents, have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How powerful are words in changing the history, the course of nations? Again, you got to be slow to speak. You got to be slow to anger. You got to be quick to listen. How powerful are words in instantaneously changing a career or changing the reputation of a person? That's why you know, words are so deceptively powerful. That's why we have to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. The, the second is not only are words deceptively powerful, but tongues can be a personal liability. The tongue always starts a fight that the body has to finish. The tongue always starts a fight that the body has to finish. Think about a four-year-old who misses playtime because the four-year-old mouth says no one too many times. I mean, you know, when you're thinking about, you know, the, the beautiful little grandchild, you know, when is the first time you realize that that grandchild is not an angel but a human being? It's when they look at you and they say, I'm not going to eat that or I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to do what you say, or, or whatever. It, that little four-year-old mouth gets the four-year-old body in trouble. Or think about the entire body of a high school football player who has to run wind sprints and to the point that he's nauseous because the high school mouth said something stupid in the hearing of the coach. Now, I don't have any experience with that whatsoever. Or how about the arms and the legs of an employee that have to walk out of the office with a box carrying all of the belongings while the stomach, the body's stomach is churning because the employee's mouth lost it with the boss. Shakespeare in the play Hamlet puts in the mouth of Polonius these words, give thy thoughts no tongue. James writes more to the point. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small, small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Listen, friends, your tongue can scorch your world. Your tongue can scorch your world. Consider that last phrase in verse 6. It sets itself on fire by hell. 
Your tongue, like everything else, is fallen. And, and your mouth is not the way it's supposed to be. And your tongue, like your desires and your ambitions and your emotions and your thought life, if it is not directly under the control of, of God, it is under the influence of Satan. It's like asking, are you a sheep or a wolf? If you don't know the answer to that, you're a sheep. Is your mouth under the control, the lordship of Jesus of Nazareth? If you don't know the answer to that, your, your tongue is under the control of somebody else. So the tongue is deceptively powerful, so be warned. Your tongue can be a personal liability, so be warned. And then finally, the tongue is frustratingly untamable. Yes, we are forgiven. And yes, God's grace is wonderful beyond description. And yes, we make progress and mature as disciples of Jesus. But hear this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. In other words, taming the tongue as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is a full-time job. Taming the tongue is a full-time job, which means you never give up. You never quit. There's never a day that you take off from thinking about what you say. Your tongue, the words you choose, the, the tone of your voice, the timing of your words, and everything else associated with your words is something you have to think about every day for the rest of your life. Now, the, the really sort of ironic thing here is that this, tuck, this, this text about the tongue then abruptly closes down with what sounds like something James may have heard his older brother Jesus say on a, on a different occasion about our words. Remember Matthew chapter 12, we talked about this last week. You have to make a good tree and its fruit good or the tree is bad and its fruit is bad and it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. That's Matthew chapter 12. In other words, you are your words. Now, this is how James ends this section. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There's a friend of mine that says what's in the well comes up in the bucket. So I want to give you two practical things that you begin doing today that, that, that take this part of your life as a disciple of Jesus seriously. The first is a daily decision. You have to take your tongue seriously every day. And you know why? Because between your nose and your chin is a killer who has to be vigilantly monitored every day. And then the second thing, not only do you begin to take your mouth and your words and you think about it beginning at the, the, the start of a day, you take it all seriously, but you also begin to pray about your words. And let me give you a very, very simple prayer to pray where your words reflect a heart for God. And it's from Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we want to be the kind of people whose words reflect our relationship with you. We want our words to, to be consistent with a heart that has surrendered itself to you. And this is why on a daily basis, we're going to take our words seriously. Help us. Give us wisdom. Help the Spirit to, uh, to, to, to blossom self-control in our life. And help us, Father, 
to, to speak words that reflect your presence in our life and ours in yours. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Have a great week.